You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Guess what, Dan? I feel like something important is happening, and I can't figure out what it is. We are one years old. One year <laughs> old. That's that's huge. So, what, what does a one year old do? What is it? Where I wh- think they don't remember their birthday parties, if I remember or if I misremember correctly. As a podcast, we still are two and a half years from retaining memories. Yes, <laughs> we're crawling, which I think is actually quite accurate. Yeah, that's that's a good metaphor. So that's We're exciting. Starting. Hey, a year. So 52 episodes, one year. That's exciting. Yes, we are on track to completing 52 no more. So today we're going to talk about an interesting topic that I think is really important. We hear about research all the time, but I'm particularly interested, Michael, in as a classroom teacher, do you feel that research makes its way into your classroom, into your school to inform practice? I would like to say yes. I really would. But I'm going to say not really. It really is up to the classroom teacher to to do that themselves on during the time that they can, which is difficult. And so I feel like when going through grad school and doing like continuing continuing ed, you are able to bring some like, you know, some scholarship to what you're doing, but unless you're either going to grad school or taking classes or, or doing it on your own, It doesn't always happen, in my opinion. I felt the same way in my classroom. I think teachers do their own kinds of research every day, right? Like, when you're a thoughtful teacher, you are constantly kind of evaluating what works and what doesn't. And I think that is needs to be honored in the field, right? I think that is a form of research. But when we think of research, we often think of more like systematic studies with methods and all those kinds of things, right? Yeah, a lot of stuff I feel like, you know, we're doing is, yeah, testing things out in our classroom on a very small scale, tinkering and, and kind of seeing what works. Um, but, yeah, there's they're just not, you know, I'm not going to academic journals to reading them. Also, I think a lot of them are behind paywalls. Yeah, that's true. I think there's kind of two problems. One is if people are doing research that's useful for teachers, how does it get to teachers? Because, again, like as a classroom teacher – you're not going to take the time to read academic journals. I know I didn't, you know, and you may read some practitioner journals, but not, you're not going to read, you know, these like 30 page reports on a single issue because you have to teach like 17,000 things in a week. You know, you have to cover a lot and you may only spend one day on a topic. Somebody spent, you know, a year researching. And um, I think the second thing is then, is there relevant research in the field for teachers? That's a big purpose of our podcast, right? That's what we've been trying to do over the last year is bridge those conversations. And we bring in expertise from both people who've done research and from classroom teachers who have a lot of experience tinkering and trying things out and doing their own research and growth in their own ways. I feel like we've been doing this for like a year. Today, we're going to kind of come full circle and we are going to bring in a guest who's going to help us talk a little bit about social studies research. And so we would like to welcome Wayne Jernell to the podcast, friend of the podcast, second time he's been here. Hey guys, good to be hey, here. Hey Wayne, Wayne, remember way back in episode eight when you were there talking about political disclosure? Yeah, way back. I'm sure that's one of your more popular uh, 
episodes, I'm sure. It is, actually, because it's <laughs> something that we constantly talk about, right. um, particularly during the election season. We had lots of people discussing it. Um, it was actually really fun to, to, to chat about online. The podcast was still a newborn baby at that time, to keep the metaphor going. <laughs> Right. So Wayne, first, if you could just tell people a little bit about your background to remind them of where you're at and what you're doing. Sure. I'm an associate professor at the uh, University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And one of the reasons I'm here talking today is I'm also the editor of Theory and Research and Social Education, which is arguably the top uh, empirical uh, research journal in social studies education. I can't believe we have the top research journal in social studies education here on our podcast today. On our year anniversary. It's a big deal. And so we do have an announcement, and I think we should go ahead and make that now because the rest of this episode, as I think, kind of meant as a, a preview to think about a lot of things that are coming up. And so, um, Wayne, why don't you make the announcement? You're the guest. Could we have sure. a drum roll first, though? I know. Edit it in. Could you insert a, yeah, insert a drum roll right here? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the big announcement is as one of my uh, priorities as editor of uh, TRSE is to get the research that's done in our journal to a wider audience. And one of the ways that we're going to do that is we're going to partner with Visions of Education podcasts. So as articles are published in TRSE, Michael and Dan are going to invite them in to talk about their research and how it's applicable to classroom teachers and looking forward to that uh, collaboration. So on, sure. on our end, we're really excited and we, we appreciate it, Wayne. Our hope, again, is that we can make some of the, these academic articles accessible to, and it's not just teachers. I mean, a lot of academics don't have time to read mm-hmm. every, everything. So this goes really both ways. Um, and we hope we also bring in more academics to listen to the podcast for those episodes when we bring in teacher experts who've been trying stuff out in their classroom and have a lot of wisdom. So this is, this is certainly not one way, but this has been one of our goals. And I, we say it in the beginning of the podcast, we want to bring fuzzy ideas into focus. Right, Michael? Yeah, I think, I think this is going to be a win-win for everybody, right? Let's give the state of the social studies research address. How, what's going on in the field? What are some of the, the trends, the types of articles that you're seeing as the editor of this social studies research journal? So as editor, I get kind of a bird's eye view of the field. And overall, I would say that it's a very vibrant field, probably more vibrant than it used to be. TRSC, for example, is now reaching international audiences. And about 30% of our submissions uh, this past year were from outside of the United States, which is always exciting. I mean, I think in just this most recent issue, uh, we had two articles, uh, both of which were from the Netherlands, I think. That in itself is a huge development because, you know, we kind of have an understanding of, of what's going on in social studies education here in the United States, but different nations throughout the world are doing things differently, and I think we could learn from that. Also, there has been an increased focus on diversity within uh, social studies education research over the past you know, decade uh, or so. That's not to say that we have covered everything. Um, I think even within that section of diversity uh, research, there are some areas that are underrepresented. Um, For example, a lot of the research tends to focus on African-Americans and how they're portrayed in the curriculum or African-American students, which is is great and we have more to learn there, but I think we need to uh, focus broadly on students of color um, and how they are represented in the social studies curriculum and how they interact with social studies instruction. Also, there's been an increased focus over the past decade or so on LGBT uh, students and both how they are represented in the curriculum and how uh, students interact with the uh, curriculum. But 
that tends to have been focused on the first three letters of that acronym. And there's increased focus on transgender individuals in the United States, and we know very little about how they have been represented or or lack thereof in uh, social studies curricula. So, you know, I think social studies research has done, has made a lot of great advances over the past few years, but we still got a lot of places uh, left to go. Uh, For example, relating back to what we just talked about, a lot of the research that we get uh, with TRSC tends to be focused on history and civics. Um, There's nothing wrong with that. I'm a civics person myself, but we know that classroom teachers teach History, civics, economics, geography, a lot of different psychology. Psychology. A lot of different, I was going to say. Yeah, I, I, yeah. My second year, I was stuck teaching psychology, although I loved it, but it was kind of out of nowhere. Two psychology classes, and, and you just don't hear a lot of talk of psychology in the social well, studies. Well, you don't. And, and so, you know, as a teacher educator, and I have, you know, placing my students in different classrooms, and when I'm talking to them about great strategies for history and civics and geography and economics, when I get to psychology, I really don't have anything to tell them <laughs> because the research base isn't there. And I think, you know, going back to the purpose of this uh, collaboration between TRC and Visions of Education, classroom teachers might not read publications like TRC, but the research base that's in publications like TRC are what fuel the strategies that they get taught in their teacher education programs and things like that. And so when there's not re- when there's a void of research out there, like in the teaching of psychology and to a lesser extent teaching of economics and geography, um, it, it, it hurts what teachers are able to do in their classes. That's interesting because earlier I was talking about how as a classroom teacher, I don't often you know find myself reading academic journals unless I'm taking a class. But I have been noticing that in professional development at NCSS, or uh, articles in the NCSS magazine, they are focusing a lot on people of color, or I'm seeing a lot like in the margins on LGBTQ communities in in history, which is kind of great. Mm-hmm. And so even though you're like you said, it's kind of like fueling all this other stuff that's going on that even though I'm not reading the academic journals, I'm still being exposed to. Yeah, it's kind of like a trickle down effect. Yes, um, that's so, you know, for example, as as a scholar, you know, I like to publish in art journals like TRSC, but I realize that the people who are going to be reading TRSC are mainly other people like myself, academics. So when I have a study that I publish in TRSC, I always try to publish another one in, say, social education, a practitioner journal that a teacher may read while they're in the, the teacher's lounge during lunch or something like that. So it's about bringing that research and making it applicable to uh, classroom teachers and in a, in a format that they can easily access because a lot of classroom teachers aren't reading TRSC uh, because, one, the articles are dense, and two, you kind of have to you know, pay for it. I mean, it's it's not cheap. People at uh, universities have institutional access that so they can get these things for uh, fairly cheap, but classroom teachers don't always have that luxury. Wayne, do you feel like most articles actually provide some kind of actionable advice or that teachers could put in practice or teacher educators can put in practice? Let me put it this way. If an article is going to get into TRSC, it better have that so what 
piece. No articles ever get accepted on the first go around, just accepted unconditionally. So there's always revisions to be made. And so uh, one of the big things that I tell authors is that you need to have that so what piece. You know, not necessarily actionable items per se. Like if if a teacher goes and does this and this and this and this, then they'll be successful. But more of, okay, so you've done this big theoretical argument. You've collected this data. What does that mean for classroom teachers? What does it mean for teacher educators? You know, and, and hopefully start that trickle down effect. And an implication section is usually where that mm-hmm. goes, right? For for those who are less familiar with academic articles, I always feel like the kind of five basics of an academic article are you have some kind of problem statement or introduction. Why the heck is this mm-hmm. worth exploring? You then have theoretical lens, some way of looking at the problem, and that's often combined with the literature review. Those two can kind of work together potentially. Some people separate them, and that reviews what else has been done on the topic. You have a method section. How did you actually go about doing this research? Then you have a finding section, which shows what did, what did we find by doing, you know, implementing these methods and looking at it. And then you have some kind of analysis and implications and conclusion. And, and that's, I'm, I'm combining, there's, there's obviously flexibility mm-hmm. in that model, but that's kind of what's in a basic research piece. What other things have you learned uh, in, in your role as both a scholar and as an editor now about like social studies research and its impact? One thing that I think is, is important, because you mentioned methods, a lot of times it's easy to gloss over that method section because <laughs> it, it can be kind of dense. But it is important to kind of see, you know, making sure that the research is applicable. What kind of students are they studying? What kind of teachers are they studying? What kind of classrooms are they studying? You know, it, can this research be applied in other areas? And one thing in social studies education, uh, going back to an initial uh, earlier question, is that I noticed it's, it's predominantly qualitative in nature. So one of the things that we're trying to do with TRC is, inc- is increase the number of quantitative and mixed methods research that we get, because I think those different avenues kind of tell us different things. And going back to your question about impact, a lot of times, if we want policymakers to make decisions based on the research, which is we would like to think that our policymakers, politicians are making research-based decisions, sometimes they don't trust qualitative research. It's too small scale. So things that are more to scale or quantitative can really provide a lot of impact for how social studies is taught in K-12 schools. So uh, quantitative, that is a large-scale research study. Qualitative is more of a single, uh, a single study. Yeah, qualitative is going to be more of an interpretive study, okay. uh, where it could be a case study that's small scale, or you could have like an ethnic, ethnography where you are studying something for a long period of time, those type of things. Quantitative studies don't have to necessarily be super large scale, but they are trying to predict. They're trying to use the statistics to infer of they're kind of trying to figure out the way I always like to try to simplify it for say doc students and things like that is quantitative research. I would argue is trying to figure out what's going on. Qualitative research is trying to figure out why the phenomenon is occurring. That might be a simplistic definition, but you know, and of course mixed methods kind of combines the best of both worlds. Right. Um, And we don't see a lot of, of mixed methods scholarship out there. Is it applicable or applicable? Because I feel like, (laughs) I like to say it applicable, but you say applicable. and uh, Tomato, tomato. I don't know. Uh, applicable, maybe. I don't know. I think you're putting the emphasis on the wrong syllable, Michael. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Wayne, one other issue that I think is really important is, is you hear a lot about impact of research and, and the impact factor of research. 
how do how is impact um, measured for research, and do you think it's me- being measured in ways that actually generate you know impact in classrooms? I'll answer your second question first. No, I don't, I don't think it's being measured in ways that impact uh, that measure impact in classrooms. The main way that uh, journals journal articles. Uh, measure impact is through something called an impact factor. It's uh, basically the number of citations that it has uh, within a three-year period. It's a, it's a mathematical formula that they crunch out, and the higher the number, the more impact your journal has. Now, that's fine and good, and it's important for people like me and Dan who are going up for promotion and tenure type of things to show that our work has impact among our peers and, and whatnot. That said, I don't think the average classroom teacher uh, could care less about the impact factor of a journal. So I do think that we need to do a better job, not just with TRSC, but research in general about trying to, to bridge those gaps between research and practice. Um, and one of the ways that I, I'm trying to do that with TRSC is through this relationship here with the Visions of Education. Also, I've reached out to the Southern Poverty Law Center who does uh, teaching tolerance, and we've kind of created a partnership with them. They're going to start looking at some of our articles that fit within their umbrella and either write articles based on our research or get the actual authors to write articles themselves because teaching tolerance reaches a ton of practitioners, whereas TRC doesn't. Also, I've reached out to uh, some people at the Huffington Post who are interested in maybe looking at our articles um, and trying to write things that are kind of into the mainstream. So it's, it's, we're starting slow, but you know, I think that's one way that we can measure impact that's not at the end of a mathematical formula. That's, that's really neat. And I'm so glad we're part of this three, three-tier solution. Mm-hmm. That's right. It's Visions of Education, <laughs> HuffPo, and the Southern Poverty Law Center. Hey, yeah, you, you're the you're the first one, so uh, <laughs> that's all important. We're the ground floor. And right. going up. <laughs> we are really excited to be a part of it because I do think we need to rethink that impact, right? And I think a lot of a lot of um, people who work in it, it's not that they don't want to do this work; it's that oftentimes their institutions don't honor the work. Publishing in a practitioner. Um, piece like teaching tolerance may not even count for anything for their work, even though it actually could impact what, what's happening in the field and what teachers are able to do. Michael, you're a classroom teacher. You are very well educated, obviously, because you have a master's degree, and we've talked a lot about research on this podcast, so you've had a lot of exposure to it. But what do you think, being in the classroom every day, what types of research do you think that would be most helpful to classroom teachers to improve their practice? So... I'm constantly trying to rethink my practice. And so I want like tangible things to, to do, like, you know, how to create better structured conversations in class, how to better differentiate instruction, uh, how to get different readings for how to better use primary secondary documents with my students. Those are kind of like tangible. They're a little bit broader. Because, you know, it's not just, you know, how you did X for this particular lesson. I want to make sure that there's a, it's applicable to, you know, multiple settings. Uh, So that's the kind of stuff that I'm interested in. But I'm also, you know, if there's a a fun title or it looks interesting, I will, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pick it up. You know, Wayne, that's where I've been thinking about, and I mentioned this to you recently, that a lot of the movement towards practice-based teacher education, and like University of Michigan has identified high leverage practices, and we talked about that with Francesca Forzani in episode 20, 
and a lot of that is what are the things teachers actually have to do on a daily basis. And I've kind of been thinking about that a lot myself. Do we spend time thinking about, as a social studies teacher, what are the specific skills that will help? Do you think that we need to do more of that type of research, or do you think that that's the type of stuff that maybe teachers are just best to figure out on their own because they actually practice and work on those on every day? That's a great question. As much as scholars can do to help classroom teachers, because, I mean, I can't speak for everybody out there, but... I mean, obviously, we have our personal goals of getting promotion and tenure and things like that. But at the same time, I mean, I'd like to think that most of us are in this work to to improve education and help classroom teachers. So I think it's important that whether it's going into that type of research or making the research that we do, I think a lot of us do what we I'm sure we all think what we do is important. But we're, you know, as TRC editor, I see all the stuff that comes across my desk. I would argue that it's all important. Um, for social studies educators. I mean, some of it's more theoretical. I'll give you an example. Um, Catherine Van Kessel and uh, Ryan Crowley have a piece that's in press for TRSC. It's going to be out later this year on villainification in social studies. And it's a very theoretical paper. Personally, it's one of the I shouldn't have favorites, but it's one of the more one of my favorites that I've read thus far. It sounds very exciting. Yeah, it does. It's really cool. Now, in that paper, do they have something in there about exactly how teachers should to take that argument and bring it to their classroom? No. But I think good teachers could look at that argument and say, oh, I see how this could apply to my curriculum and make their choices there on the ground, you know, and based on their students and their context. So I don't often spend time in comment sections on newspapers. But it's kind of like how you'd want to have like a comment section where it's like, okay, so this is the article. How would you then use this in your class? And so it's then, I guess, those secondary pieces that, you know, teachers who are picking it up could then respond to or reflect Mm on. Right. And it's interesting, too, because as a classroom teacher, I feel like some of the things that changed my practice the most was not empirical research. It was ideas. It's that I was I was able to rethink either the content or I was able to rethink like the approach I had to education and some approaches that help you rethink almost everything, you know. Uh And um, I, even in theirs, I think, I guess I must have already seen a presentation or a post on it, but basically my idea of the villainification thing is that they were, other people talked about the heroification of certain people in the curriculum that doesn't help us understand complex characters and, and people, actors in history, right? And they're saying, too, we do on the flip side, right, that, mm-hmm. that right. we make people into villains and then we don't wrestle with the complex. Not just one human, but, you know, somebody, they use the example at the beginning of their article about Bull Connor, you know, always gets blamed for a lot of the stuff that went on during the civil rights movement. But there was a lot of other people besides Bull Connor, you know, and, and it's a collective vilification, you know, that right. that. And I think when social studies teachers could easily take that example and th- and apply it to different aspects of particularly the history curriculum. And it really like like you just said, Dan, it changes really the way you teach social studies overall. And I think that's one of the things that research can afford uh, classroom teachers. And Bull Connor was in a publicly elected position supported, mm-hmm. by, supported by a culture, right? I mean, that's the whole point right. is, is is vilifying him as if he's the problem ignores the system, which is which is far more uh, a problem and, and doesn't help us understand like what, what makes change maybe, what actually it requires. So. Wayne, what uh, advice do you have for, for both re- people who are doing research and all the people who are consumers of research well, for researchers, I think it goes back to being able to answer that so what question that you mentioned earlier and doing things that advance the field. 
with TRSE, we publish about 16 to 17 articles in a year. That's We have a page allocation with the people who produce at Taylor and Francis. So I, I couldn't accept more manuscripts, even if I wanted to. <laughs> so, But to put it in context, we get last year we got well over about 140, 150 manuscripts, I think, something like around that number last year. So you can imagine the acceptance rate, if you do the math, is pretty small. So sometimes I get manuscripts that are just that that represent solid research you know there's nothing fundamentally wrong with them the methodology sound but they don't answer that so what question they don't advance the field and so for some something to get published in a top tier journal like TRSE um, it's got to be able to you know answer those questions now as far as people who are consuming the research I think that's you know a little bit harder it's about being able to take something that's fairly dense. Um, it's not something that you would read, you know, for pleasure right before you go to bed, right? But taking something that's pretty dense and being able to find that that nugget or one or two nuggets in there that you can apply to your classroom uh, context. And I think that's important. I think that it would also be good to read in a group. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, take it, you know, have a couple of different people read it and then discuss it and how it can be, how it can be apply how it does apply. No, I agree. In fact, that's common practice at universities, you know, especially among doctoral students who are having to wade through this dense research for the first time. Um, it is good practice to get into reading groups and, you know, make sure that you're understanding these things. And as a classroom teacher, if you were to pick up an issue of TRSE, I don't know if you necessarily need to read the entire theoretical framework, to be completely honest, right? That can be somewhat dense. And, you know, I'm a big fan of Foucault, but, you know, Foucault is not necessarily going to influence what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. But reading that, skimming over that methodology and looking at the findings, and then, like Dan said earlier, really hitting that implication section and figuring out that so what, the takeaway points that you could use in your classroom is important. I don't even know what Foucault is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Foucault, uh, Michel Foucault uh, was a philosopher in, in uh, France uh, that we sometimes see in theoretical frameworks. I've used them in mine a few times. You know, I was I was glancing through this first issue of the year, and uh, they used Foucault in this first article, which seems to be w- really well written. Yeah, that I don't know who wrote that one, I, but uh, <laughs> well, kidding. It's just a yeah. total coincidence that um, yeah. I'm the second author in in the first article that we have, and so um, we'll be bringing in my mentor, who uh, deserves most of the credit for for the great work on that article. But he likes Michel Foucault and references him in the article. So, do I get a copy of the magazine? Uh, this is where we, we start we... negotiating that stuff. I think Michael should get one. How yeah, can, you can get how one. Can... All right. It's the best day. Well, Wayne, thank you so much for uh, chatting with us today. All right. Sounds good. Now, Wayne, where can our listeners find you, your work, and the journal online? Okay. So uh, my work, you can find me if you just Google my name in UNC Greensboro. But more importantly, you can find TRSC. If you Google theory and research in social education, it'll take you to the uh, TRC website, which is run by Taylor and Francis, and you can find copies of all the um, issues and articles there. And you're also on Twitter. I am on Twitter. And also TRSC's on Twitter. My personal Twitter is at UNCG Social SOC. I think I got that right. And then, but for the journal, we uh, publish announcements with the journal. We publish, we'll be posting an announcement about this collaboration here. It's T-R-S-E underscore editor. Cool. 
we'll definitely get those both linked up. Yeah. So, um, again, thank you so much for joining us today. We definitely will continue this discussion. This isn't a one-time stop because we will be keeping the conversation going on with using both our Twitter accounts and in future conversations. So thanks for, for setting this up, Wayne. We're really excited. Thank you. Now, at the Vision of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something neat, creative in education, or you just want to talk, tweet at us at Visions of Ed. We're also on Facebook and Pinterest. And we are definitely there, Dan. Uh, <laughs> of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you want to be. And if you want, you can leave us a review. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off. This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research in Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSE published author. Enjoy!